welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. On today's episode, we sit down with Angus Lovett, co-founder of Ramp Software and former VP of Marketing at King Gaming. If you've ever wondered how digital marketing works or how Candy Crush became the biggest worldwide phenomenon in the gaming space, this episode's for you. So I understand you've been in London since 2007. I got a job offer um, from a marketing agency here called Starcom MediaVest, which is part of the part of the publicist group. Um, and um, the, the, you know that's where the, the career in kind of digital advertising and you know in marketing um, sort of started. And to be honest, I did, you know I was there for the chicks. Uh, so you know it wasn't anything which is um, you know some well thought through thing. I mean I I, I thought I was going to get some more strategic level marketing no i was i was an advertising monkey right so uh yeah so no this and that's that's how i end up here and i've been here for you know ever since so did you move on to to king from there was it so i'm a specific sort of um marketer which is a, a performance marketer uh, performance marketer you know is Defined um, is a it's a process. You know, it's it's test line, uh, t- uh, test and uh, you know, learn and refine on an on an ongoing basis. That's that's what a performance marketer does, and it doesn't need to be digital, although that is you know what you know what the focus of it because it's easier to measure. And you know, I came in and started my career at a time where you know the marketing um, whole industry was in just a state of uh, vast change because. All of a sudden, these new digital, um, you know, digital channels were coming up, but also the means of measuring your performance and being held accountable for the actually, you know, what 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 you know what you were um, you know doing was, um, you know, all of a sudden this this you know coming to the fore, and so wow, like now that we know that we spent this money and we got nothing back, you know, and it, and it's just so there's a whole bunch of People working in the, in the you know advertising media industry, which just didn't have the necessary skill set to actually do that because they couldn't use a calculator, right? As far as I could tell, you know, the, the the primary way that you sort of you know got clients and got promoted was just being really good at lying, you know, just spinning, spinning everything. Nothing was ever you know bad. Wow, we got to click through rate of like this isn't that wicked yeah like so anyway so we built up this big um thing at this agency which you know um uh, me and uh, this other guy called richard hocking which is based on this performance marketing discipline because we're really good and all of a sudden the clients they didn't want the other stuff they wanted this this way that you know this approach you know hardcore measurement return on investment um discipline approach to, to marketing so we Built the team up to I think it was about 180 people. Um, and how, how long did that? Have, how long did from zero to 180 go from? Oh, that within the space of three three years. So, um, which is like the the, the tenure um, uh, there. You know, if they play, it was uh, Richard Hawking probably, which is more. I was more the specialist and actually the on the media side than than uh, managing the, the the people. But and just to put it in perspective, like so, you know, you take it for granted. You know, Facebook ads. Uh, you know, these days, um, we were literally, you know, me and two other people were literally the first people in the world to be buying these ads, you know, via the, the, via the API, um, uh, you know, and even via the website, like, you what? know, no one, the first the people, yeah, like, like, we were on this pro, we we're on this beta program, like no one else had access to, 
to be able to use some software to go and buy this thing at scale. You know, very few people are doing it, but you used to be able to have to, you know, and I guess a lot of people do that if you're a small, medium-sized business now is just get your little credit card and, but it's so much more, and then third, and it's so much more sophisticated um, these days, but back in the day, like you didn't, a lot of people didn't have access to the, you know, in the features. And so we were, we had access to that. And, and there's a few other things, you know, we've got our own affiliate network and, and stuff like that. Anyway, so as a result of this, you know, it started to get the attention of, um, and, you know, there are certain industries which are, you know, kind of bellwether industries in terms of where the wind's blowing. And unfortunately for humanity, those two are probably porn and, and, um, <laughs> and gaming. And um, as a result, I got um, a call from a, you know, a gaming company called um, King. Uh, and at the time, it was a skill-based gaming company. So uh, you put in a dollar, I put in a dollar, and we play each into a pot, and we play each other on these flash games on a website. So we're playing against each other. And then the winner uh, takes home the two bucks minus the house rake of 30%, which is obviously much higher. So, you know, lower value, you know, broader reach, lower value customers, but then, you know, higher margins on those, on those um, sort of transactions. And um, that's how King was, you know, as a business at the time. And um, I got a call from the founder, um, Ricardo Zaccone, and he's like, oh, okay, well, I heard what you've done, you know, at, at the agency, maybe you can uh, join us at King. And I'm like, fuck off, I'm joining your cash gaming business. Like, you know, like, sounds yeah. shit. Like, um, and I, you know, to the point he was very insistent and I hung up on him like pretty much like, you know, not, not quite, but a couple, couple of times and he, you know, he called again and the recruiter kept on calling and I'm like, yeah, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take this, I'll take this meeting. I walk into, so I walk into the office of this Italian man, like it's like the godfather, like he's here, he's bold, he's sitting behind this big desk or, or, or whatever and he's like, he's like Angus, and he starts talking about the company, he starts talking about his challenges. And like, I'm thinking about it going, well, fuck, like, you know, I could, I could, do, I could do this, but would I want to, right? I mean, it's like, here I am, I, I inflated self, self, sense of self-worth is that I'm working with large clients like, you know, Capital One and, and, and spending millions and millions of people of other people's money and, and somehow that means something. And, and, and I'm like, I don't want to work. And so he's going through talking about his business and then, the founders and the business and everything else. And I'm sort of zoning out. And he's like, so when you fly to Sweden tomorrow to meet the other flat founders, like, I'm like, Ricardo, like, I can't just like <laughs> drop everything I'm doing and fly to Sweden to take a meeting with your business partners. I've got a team to manage back in the, back in the thing. And he's like, oh, sorry, I apologize. That was very presumptuous of me. How about tomorrow? Like the next, the next day. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I was like, I was, it was quite amusing. Um, and so it's like, and before you do, before you go back, let me swim by the, swim by, by the office, right? Swim by the office. And I want to tell you a bit more. And, and so he comes in and he goes, hi, Angus, how are you? He gets this big duffel bag. Mafia, got a big duffel bag and puts it next to the desk. Leans back and said, I want you to take that. I want you to take that to Sweden with you tomorrow. And then continue, then just leaves it at that. And then, and then basically uh, continues to talk about the business. And I can't, I can't concentrate what he's saying. All I'm thinking is I'm not taking your fucking duffel bag to Sweden, bag. <laughs> <laughs> What's in the I'm bag? Not, <laughs> I'm, not being your, I'm not being your mule. And, um, 
and, and he's, uh, you know, he, he finishes little spiel and then he smiles at me and he says, you want to see, you want to see what's in the bag, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, I want to see what's in the bag. And he unzips it and he, he pulls one, he pulls, pulls one out. It's an iPad. Now bear in mind, this is 2000 and um, two, early 2000 and, and well, I think late 2009, for example. This is the first, this is the first iPad in the flesh uh, that I've ever seen. Not only that, it's a 64 gigabyte Wi-Fi model. So it's worth, you know, maybe 1,200 pounds, like 2,400 bucks or whatever. There are 32 of these things stacked uh, in, you know, side by side in this huge duffel bag. So it's, you know, like a lot of money, you know, yeah, you know yeah. as well just be gold. And he, and he said, Angus, I want you to take these to Sweden. And I want you to hand them out to all the employees. And I want you to tell them that this is the future of our company. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> you are crazy. You know, you're crazy. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> so I, I fly, I fly and when I'm getting to leave and the elevator goes, Oh, by the way, Keep one for yourself. And I'm thinking, like, it's not that bad, the iPad or whatever. I'm just thinking, what a you know, dramatic kind of revelation. And a, and it really made a kind of a, an impression on me, which is this is a classic found, you know, just a found, not, not operating by normal people's rules, fast moving, you know, wants to let communicate, let people know, share, you know, get them involved in the, in the vision. And so that's basically how I'm at uh, Ricardo. <laughs> Ricardo Zaccone, um, uh, you know, the king. And so I'm here in Sweden, like, you know, not hired, not hired, just, you know, handing out to people I didn't know, 64, these, these 64 gigabyte iPads, you know, to the employees of this company. They're like, who are you? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and, and, and then I, you know, so I end up having a you know, copy of the founders, but I'm pretty well, um, but, you know, we didn't really have too much to talk about. They didn't know what I did. I didn't know what they did. And, you know, it was pleasant. And so then, then uh, as I go, I got to fast forward a little bit, you know, as I'm leaving for the airport and uh, Ricardo gives me a call and he's like, right, so Angus, when you start work, these are the three things that I want you to do. Bang, bang, bang. I'm like, Ricardo, you haven't even offered me a job. You haven't even discussed terms. I haven't even accepted. And he goes, he goes, what do you want? And before I had a chance to answer, he goes, I'll triple your salary. <laughs> and, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like I, Ricardo, that's a lot of money. And he's like, you know, whatever, start tomorrow. And I'm like, that is, that's insane. So my, my thought process was this. Okay, well, I'm getting paid after being, you know, if anyone's lived in, um, in London, you know, coming over as a backpacker and working, uh, working their way up, Times are tight. It's it's really rough. It's it's much tougher being poor than it, in London than it is um, you know in Australia because the lifestyle is different. So for me, like you know, obviously getting that sort of money was I couldn't turn it down no matter what the job was. So even though I had a good uh, role at the previous place, that I wasn't getting paid properly for, for for that. So I had to take it. The second thing was there wasn't some fortuitous kind of future facing hey, I'm picking a winner here. I thought it was a shitty cash gaming business and it turns out it was right. Park that story for one, one, one second. Um, but my thinking was, okay, well, agencies take 
these guys are spending 10 million euro a year on, on marketing. We could build an internal agency for them. You know, I could afford up to 10% and we could spend 10% on salaries. I could hire all my mates in, you know, pay them fucking well. And, <laughs> and, and, and basically we'll, we'll live like, live like Kings and not have to answer to anyone, you know? So basically dragging a few of my mates out of uh, media agency poverty. And, and, and that was the thing. It wasn't about, you know, this company was going to be, be successful or not. So I went and did that and hired about 10 of my, most of them just from the same media agency I'd come from. And we, and we started building, we started building the, uh, doing their advertising for them. Okay. Acquiring users for this web-based portal for, for the games. Now within the space of maybe three or four months, we, we quintupled, I think the amount of new user registrations to the website. So just, and that's, just by doing basic stuff. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, you know, it's still today within advertising, you get a bunch of muppets that just don't know what they're doing. And they, they, they you know, their entire role is about post justifying decisions that they've made rather than just looking cold hard, um, you know, cold hard, hard stats um, you know, for what they are. And so we did that, but a funny thing happened, which was, okay, you'd expect if we were getting five times the amount of new users, wouldn't you expect more, more revenue? You know, wouldn't you expect more revenue to be coming through the door? And the answer to that, um, and it, it, it wasn't happening. Um, so, you know, we weren't seeing an, an increase in, in the revenue. And I was like, okay, why is this? And we went back to Ricardo and we said, okay, these targets that you've given us, you know, 80 pound per user, how are you getting to those? Have you measured, like, what are you, what are you doing? And he says, well, uh, from, you know, the time that someone joins the website in 2013 to today, they've generated, you know, 80 pounds. So the lifetime value of the user is 80 pounds. I'm like, well, that's technically correct. But at some point, <laughs> you, you're going to have to start making money. And if five years for a payback period, if you're seeing it at eight, is, 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 is too long. So then we, we basically started looking at this and going, well, what can you actually afford to pay? And as it turns out that, you know, the answer was, was next to nothing. They couldn't afford it. 90% of all their revenue was being generated by the users that had joined the website prior to 2016. It was now 2010. So ipso facto, they'd wasted the 10 million budget every year sequentially, you know, since about that about that date obviously that's a tough pill to swallow for the people that you know were involved but also you can't just go back to the board and go mm, right away well you can and you should but <laughs> but, but the message so and, and that and then i won't you know me being not as politically savvy um and i never will be but with the presentation <laughs> of that effect together for the board and submitted at the last minute i was unceremoniously dumped from the uh the board meeting uh, for, uh, for for King, so I remember going to um, the 2K, which is the Irish pub, with all my boys, being like, "Look, guys, you know this business isn't exactly what I thought it would be. We can't just pour money on this. Um, don't worry, I'll make sure that everyone goes back into their old jobs, except at a much higher salary. It's been fun." So I literally gave that speech, and then, you know, when we get back to the office and we're half cut, uh, <laughs> you know, from from a few few bevies you know, the future chief operating officer walked in and said, Angus, I read your presentation. Uh, number one, he goes, number one, 
I believe you. Number two, you might need to work on your messaging a little bit. Um, <laughs> number number three, I need you to stay and help us fix this shit, and we're going to give you some equity in the company to, to make sure that you do. So that was, um, and that was, and this guy's name was um, Stefan uh, Stefan Kurgan, which is one of the smartest guys I've ever met. And so part of the recommendation or the deck was, you know, that. The, the skill gaming business that they had was a cash cow, but there's nothing, so a cash cow, they can't continue to invest in it. They need to take that money and actually do something else because the existing business model was fundamentally broken. And that included the partnership deals that they had, which were um, based on a lifetime revenue share. So if Microsoft or um, which had the portal, portals were a big thing and no one uses portals anymore, right? You know, you had Lycos and you had, you know, the front pages of certain internet properties with a bit of news and a bit of weather and, you know, um, uh, some light clickbait. That, that, that was a thing. And, you know, that's where all the users were driven. Now, for every user, they were sharing the revenue in perpetuity. But the thing is that those portals, as they um, lost their traffic over time, they weren't contributing any new users. So King was paying the money, like large, large checks, and they weren't doing anything for us. So, you know, the, one of the recommendations was, you know, the effective cost per acquisition of these deals is something in the order of three or 4,000 pounds. You can't even afford two. So this is how like they weren't contributing to business. So they went and effectively undid all these partnership deals that, that they did. And so um, freed up that cash. And then, and then, you know, we need to do something else. And what that was, was, you know, so they had a skill gaming website of, about 160 you know, games, uh, portfolio um, IPs. And they started to take these out and started to experiment with the business model and the envelope. And at the time that there was two, you know, there was two hot emerging trends. Number one was mobile. You know, the app store had only just come out and you had Angry Birds, which was at the top of the list, which was sold for 99 cents. And then the other one was uh, Facebook had just come out uh, well, not, you know, sorry, not come out, opened up their API to game developers and you had a company called Zynga, which was um, uh, developing games and developing games on that platform um, in a more, and they're two different, slightly different charging mechanisms. One's a free to play, you know, uh, model where you're putting in uh, a virtual uh, you know, money for virtual currency and you do, you know, microtransactions. The other one is, you know, you, you're buying the game sort of outright so we we had two two bets um and as it turns out the, the free-to-play one probably suited our team a little bit more because you know we already had experience of kind of live operations of games we you know there was some data science and, and think you know skill sets which already existed due to the previous model and we you know and we slowly built our way up uh in kind of the the, the rankings or the tables for, for on on the social side but moreover we were able to do that because what happened was this is how zynga was built which is you know uh, facebook opened the 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 gaming platform the api um and you know they connected farmville and then for about two years after every single person in the world got a farmville notification hey your mates are playing farmville now, Facebook eventually clocked onto this and said, hey, this is a pretty shitty user experience and we're going to start to throttle this and shut it down to the point today where that's almost non-existent, right? The, the amount of inventory that's allocated or FaceTime that's given to other platforms, it, it's kind of like a bait and switch. They, they sell you on this functionality. If you connect to the platform, then they take it away. 
uh, afterwards, but by then you're connected. So then you've got all that their priority data. But so they clocked onto this. And so every gaming developer that, that came afterwards had to buy their way in. But thankfully at that stage, it was still kind of cheap enough and, and easy enough for us to, to, to buy our way in. And the first game that was really successful was a game um, on um, social or sort of within the Facebook canvas was a game called Bubble Witch. And that had about 30 million monthly active uh, users, I believe which made us the second in terms of reach um, in, in, in at least on you know, social gaming at that, at that time. So very rapidly within the space of six months, we, we got to there, but bear in mind Zynga at the time was 300. So much, much larger than, than what we were. And um, Zynga then proceeded to clone Bubble Witch with their own, they threw a team of approximately 150 and you know, uh, you know, we, a team of Bubble Witch was like eight. Uh, so you just can't compete. So they, they cloned it massively cross-promoted from their other games into it and overnight pretty managed to managed to kill our, our game. And at this stage, King is probably at a $150 million run rate as a, as a business. And overnight, like the run rate dropped to about almost half that because the, you know, Zynga had gone and destroyed and taken all the users of this game that, um, that, that, that had been made. So it was a pretty scary time, but we had... Candy Crush waiting in the wings. And we knew that that was going to be powerful because it was a good performing game already on, on the website um, in a different, slightly different format. But we knew that it was much more suitable for the touch screen. It was much more, the switching mechanic of sliding from side to side was much better than the point and shoot kind of bubble shooter mechanic of trying to pop bubbles up, up the top. We knew that point of screen. So, uh, when we put that into soft launch and we saw the metrics, we were like, wow. What were you looking for? In soft launch, one of the good things, uh, you know, uh, if you're not in gaming, let, let me compare and contrast what we call like uh, AAA uh, to, to free to play. So AAA, the stuff that most of us would be familiar with, which would be, you know, your console games, your FIFAs, your, and, and for the most part, they're big brand franchises, people, you know, going to buy you know they put out all their money in advance and, and you, know, uh, you know it costs 50 50 dollars for a game you're going to pay that in advance and it doesn't matter what happens afterwards it's a shit game well you're out of luck right uh there's nothing you can do about it now when it's a free to play game it's free to install and you know from time to time you'll buy microtransactions or at least a small portion of the population will and that will pay for the game over its lifetime but it will only you only get that money if the users stick around. So when we're talking about retention, when we launch a game, what we want, want to see is we want to see, you know, some strong retention metrics first and foremost. Are users going to stay? Because that's the hardest thing to move because retention is the net sum of fun, basically. Is this game fun or not? Is it like something which I'm going to come back and invest the time into? Monetization, the amount of money or yield that you, you, you can get from somebody that you can fix later on but it's very hard to retrofit fun and when we saw that the you know sort of retention metrics were you know i think it was like 70 percent on day day one so that means on the second day after people come uh, come back 70 percent of people chose to fire it up the very next day uh, and then when you know further on i think you know, you know really stretching my memory now but you know, we were looking at 30, 30% 30 um, 
you know, on day 30. So it really retained a huge chunk of the users. And the other thing is it was one of the first mobile games, if not the first, to actually monetize on mobile. Now, free to play as a concept has existed in, you know, Western markets, uh, sorry, Eastern markets for ages, right? Like microtransactions on mobile have been a thing in, in, in Japan and Korea for forever. But this is the first time that this really popularized, hey, you know, free to play in the West. This what, we have to keep on paying? <laughs> What's going on here? But it was the first game that really broke that model. No one was willing to do it before, before that. But this really changed the, changed the game, so to speak, in terms of, you know, this is at scale. And when you think about it, it's not too surprising, which is, you know, if you, back in the day when you used to go to a video arcade, uh, you know, what do you do? You, you put in, you know, a, do, a dollar to get three, three lives. And once those lives are fired, then you put in another dollar. People were willing to do it back then, you know. So uh, the only reason that that stopped uh, was, was because people had consoles at home. There was actually no physical way, this is pre, probably pre-internet, to actually, you know, accept the, accept the dollar um, transaction. So they, you know, got it all up front. So... You know, it's you know in that that way, it's not really surprising that that, that you know this was uh, people were willing to do that because people are just okay. What is my time worth? And people do that mental thing. Go, wow, you know what? I'm enjoying this. I want I want an extra five lives. And that was the five lives was the you know and it's much lower proportion of overall what they make their money from these days. But that was the initial charging mechanic. You know you. You literally, you just you have a certain number of lives and you buy more when they run out. So, you know, just to put it in perspective, you know, I did a presentation uh, to the board, uh, Apex and Index were the initial um, uh, investors, and we were currently at $150 million run rate. And I gave a presentation and said, we're going to make $2 billion this year. And, <laughs> you know, you could have heard a pin drop because they didn't really understand, like they knew things were going well, but they didn't know how well. And we weren't even on that. At that point, when we made the presentation, we were, you know, we were making $150 million, you know, around $150, $200 million run rate, right? So how do we know that we're going to make $2 billion? Well, it's mathematics, right? If you know that users are going to retain this long and you can estimate, you can see the trajectory of how many new users that you're going to retain and you know what rate that they monetize for, that's called, uh, you know, and that's something I specialize in, which is like, cohort-based forecasting, um, you, you can act, you can predict the future, you know, with a high degree of accuracy. And so we actually came out, um, I think at the end of the calendar year with $1.94 billion gross bookings um, uh, within the, the first year. So that was, that was um, that's nuts. That was nuts. Yeah. Um, and but the other the other qualification was, and this is where I said, but we'll only make that two billion dollars if you do what we if you let us do what we say. And that was, don't give us a marketing budget. Give us marketing parameters. So when going through the 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 economics of it, we know that we can afford for three bucks three bucks for every user or five bucks, whatever it was at the time, right? So. Ipso facto, if you know, and we know that we're going to make that back within three or four months. So you would be foolish not to spend as much money, as hard and fast as you can to, to maximize the potential of this game. So if you just said, okay, well, you know, 
we're, we're at this rate and we're going to have a classic marketing approach and you've got a hundred million buck budget for the year, go for it. You know, it, it never, never would have worked. So, you know, I think, and in the first, you know, in the first, first year we spent something in order of 400 million USD in marketing on, on Candy Crush alone, right? That's, that's larger than 400 any, million. 400 million. So that's larger than any movie, but you know, like any movie budget, you know, that you'd probably come across. We're spending one point um, at the peak, about $1.8 million a day, I think, on, that was on mobile banner advertising alone. We spawned an entire industry. And that's so there was, mobile advertising was very immature uh, back then. And in fact, you know, we wa probably wasted so much money because we were moving so quickly. Everyone was uh, we'll call arbitraging, uh, you know, us and probably cheating us out of money. But as long as we were hitting our metrics, you know, and that we're buying it cheaper than what we then it's fine, right? Just keep the keep keep the uh, uh, fire stoked with the coal, you know. Um, and so that's what happened. And so that's you know that was uh, the birth of um, you know from, at least from my perspective. I'm sure there's another sort of story about what a fantastic uh, you know actual game it was, but you know that's the marketing uh, yeah, well, sort of story. Did you play? Yeah. Did you play Candy Crush? Did the people in the office play the game? I mean, I played up to, I mean, bear in mind there's thousands of levels. Um, I, I actually not a big mobile game. I really don't like, I'm a big gamer, but not a big mobile gamer. And I think that's a function of, you know, you don't want to see how the sausage is made. So, you know, I have to sit in, it's not, you know, through my time at King and now I work, um, you know, with, a bunch of other um you know uh, companies and once you once you sit through meetings and go oh well you know there's this block here this is what we're trying to get your users to do we're trying to get them to pay at this point or whatnot you do become a little bit uh more cynical but not just cynicism i think it's predictability well, you know if you're going up and you you want to be immersed in the game i think and if if for me when i understand what i when i'm looking at it i don't want to be thinking well this is why they have done this and questioning the motivation behind the design. I don't want to be doing that. I just want to, I want to enjoy this. So this is why I don't like mobile games um, but I, <laughs> or playing mobile games. But yeah, but, but people did. I mean, um, you know, the, the, my team, not so much, but you know, obviously the, uh, the, the lot of people that, that uh, you know, by necessity um, that work on the games, play their own games, but lots of other games. I mean, they're true gaming, gaming people. Uh, my, my girlfriend, um, she she works for a company called Scopely um, at the moment, and she um, you know she's a big gamer as well. What's the future plans for you this year? So um, I've got um, kind of a consult uh, consultancy business. Um, it's part consultancy, part predictive analytics, and you know uh, we call it Ramp. And what it does, you know, I told the story of earlier about okay being able to predict the future this is what this is is um this game is going to make now it turns out that, that is true of any business it's just people don't have the skills to do it you know and you know the first thing you know pe people come to me and say angus we want you to come and help help us with our advertising can you fix our facebook can you fix our google now 99 out of and a hundred times, that's the wrong question to be asking. If you're not performing well at those things, it's probably because there's some other problem with your business. You know, so a lot of time, time that I spend um, with clients has been traditionally working on the fundamental question of what can we afford to pay for a customer? Because it's not an easy, it's not an obvious one because 
you know, you can have an average number, but at, you know, uh, averages are the mother of all fuck ups. So you need to understand, you know, group by group, what you can afford by each group, you know, and, and understand, well, if I have a male between 20 and 30, I can afford this much and the female this much, and that will make, you know, uh, the decision in terms of how much to pay, but also how to, how to target your advertising uh, and things like that. Now, there's no systems and software to help you with that. And I got really frustrated that every time I used to go into another business, another client, that I had to start from scratch. So I was like, screw it. I'm just going to build something which helps me, uh, number one, understand uh, you know, what the unit economics of this business really are, what makes it, makes it tick. You know, it's surprising. I've worked with some of the smartest people, some of the most respected companies, and the, the level of or lack of understanding you know, about you know, just basic unit economics and how they make their money is, is incredible. Now, that's rapidly changing, I think, um, you know, as, as data science becomes more prevalent um, in, within organisations. But so that's the first thing, it's unit economics. But also, here's the thing, like, all a CEO or CFO wants to know, if I give you this money in terms of marketing, how much are you going to give me back? You know, they don't want to know the return on advertising investment. They want to know what their quarterly bottom line is. They want, that's, that's all they want. And no one can connect those two things, right? Very few people can say, okay, well, if you give me a million bucks and I spend it like this, you're going to have an additional, you know, two million in, in revenue. And because they can't, you know, it, for a number of different reasons, I won't list them. It's just, they just can't do that. Um, and so that's what, you know, I'm the problem. I'm I'm trying to trying to help um, solve it at the moment. It's early days. You know, we've got a few clients. We've got um, the system running in a few clients, but you know, we're not actively seeking to take on more until we uh, develop the software out a little bit more. Then also, in addition to that, um, working with lots of venture capital uh, sort of clients. So if you can predict the future of a business, isn't that a bloody valuable thing to have? Because it determines enterprise value, right? So if you're the best at predicting the future, like then you invest in companies which are going to make money, right? It's pretty basic. So, you know, we've got a bit of a niche going here um, in that in that field, and we, we actually just signed a contract um, the other day, which I won't disclose. And we're basically we're going to just start, you know, light touch, just looking at all the deals and 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 just honing our skills and honing our our models, so we can just be throwing you know, data at it going, this company, this company, this company, and work out if they just extrapolate the current trends, what are they going to be making year two, three, four? But also the other thing is that we can put another layer on top of that because we know marketing. We know how, if they threw a bunch of marketing money, what does it mean for them then? What if scenario planning? What, what does it mean there? To, to, so that's, that's kind of the, 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 the field that, that we're in. I think accountability is the word, right? It's, we know how to connect the you know marketing spend to the to the top line and and so that's that's the fundamental premise of of rent what are the big mistakes you see there this is how marketing tends to work which is um you know traditionally it's seen as a cost line item rather than an investment and if you think about it what are we trying to do we're trying to invest to grow our money right but it's never treated as such so what people do is is you know what companies do is they say okay this is our uh, our quarterly budget you know this is our revenue this is our, uh, this is the um, uh, percentage of our whole revenue that we should be spending on marketing because that's what our 
peer group is doing or should be doing, and then they spend that money regardless. The problem with that methodology is number one, you could either be dramatically underinvesting. So if if you had a mechanism, you know, interest rates, uh, nothing at the moment. So you know, if you had a means to you know put in a dollar and get another you know a, another two dollars out over a space of a, a a year or two, I mean that's an amazing amazing investment. So why would you stick with a percentage of a percentage of revenue? Why wouldn't you go and find um, some source of you know get it you know some sort of financing to to inject that into the business? But the people but people don't do that because they don't have the skills to put that far. So they underinvest. The other way is, and this happens on the other end of the scales when you're large, which is to say you are a, uh, you know, a major brand and you think, well, we need to be paying a percentage. The reality is, you know, if you've got 99%, you know, awareness in your certain category, the incremental impact of spending more money is going to be, you know, going to be going to be quite low. So, you know, more often than not when there's super mature categories and companies that they're spending money, which isn't, you know, as effective as, as what, you know, as possibly what it, what it should be. Um, and, and they're wasting a lot of money, um, you know, invariably, you know, that comes from, you know, just brand maintenance type, type activities, you know, um, which I'm not saying doesn't have value. I mean, you know, th there is exceptions to the rule uh, on this. There is, um, you know, I'm not saying brand advertising is not um, a valuable thing or should never be done, but I'm saying as a, as a whole, it is less accountable. Um, so there is more instances of, I guess, wastage, uh, which is be controversial, you know, a controversial viewpoint. But, uh, you know, after I, I, after a few years in the, in the business, I, I think uh, I have the, you know, an informed opinion on it. So <laughs> I think so too, mate. You'll say whatever you want, I think. Who do you learn from? Did you learn, like, do you, are you someone who like, do you listen to podcasts? Do you, do you consume content yourself? Do you just know the content already? So you don't need to learn it. Like I had a pretty good boss who taught me the principles of, of, of performance uh, marketing back in the day, but he wasn't uh, at, well, at least at the time, um, you know, from a, a digital background, but what was good is that um, what makes an, a, a good, if you think of what performance marketing is, test, learn, and refine, you need a natural curiosity to be poking and testing and experimenting. And, and that's what I did, thankfully, you know, so I was self-taught, but, you know, but I did it on the back of other people's money, right? So, you know, I had the benefit of seeing the impact of good campaigns, bad campaigns, good and bad people, client side and agency side, you know, mostly bad across across a wide variety of of, of of different companies and you know and just learning from that you know for, from that over a period over a period of time we've got one last question i reckon we can get you is what what are the craziest marketing story oh man yeah okay crazy oh, here we go here we go yeah. <laughs> we got him we got I, him I, yeah no i've got and i got pictures to to show that's true so um for the la for the launch, this is a you know I could do some debauchery stuff, but here's a here's a, a marketing specific crazy story. I once spent, and this is the running joke with NFC. I once spent I think um, ten million USD on uh, high definition hot air balloons. Now we ordered these for the launch of Candy Crush, and bear in mind like you go ten million bucks is a, is a lot of money, and 
you know, I'm a performance marketer and it's not really something which is, you know, look, it's not, you know, measurable, tangible or whatnot. But the thing is, is that as a performance marketer, test and learn is something that you, you should you should be doing. So, you know, if you think, you know, 10 million bucks is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the overall budget. Anyway, so we, we were tasked with coming up with a big, big bang, uh, excuse the uh, pun, uh, launch strategy or plan for the second version of Candy Crush, which is the um, Candy Crush Soda it was at the, at the time. And one of the recommendations, because we still had a media agency for the more offline, the brandy stuff activities, right? And one of the recommendations was, hey, you know, we can do hot air balloons, but we, look at this. We can put a, a full wraparound, you know, screen on the, on the balloons. And we're thinking, that's amazing. In the presentation, they've got um, these sort of video balloons floating in the sky across the city. And we could be putting candy crush on them. People maybe could be interacting from their phones and things. So the possibilities were actually really, really great. And so we were like, that's a cool idea. And I, you know, I didn't have time to really go through the details uh, with it. And as I, you know, maybe leave these things to the experts is probably the lesson I've learned from this, but what we actually got. So we went out to the factory one day, we saw these three balloons. I've got this, you know, firing up with a can of crush on the outside. It like looks awesome, whatnot. So we're standing there with these, these hard hats on. And then they tell us, and we say, oh, okay. So, you know, like, when, you know, when we're going to launch them, you know, where, where do you think we'll launch them? Where do you think they'll fly over? And they just look at each other going, what? And I'm like, you know, when we fly the balloons. Oh, no, they can't, you can't fly them. <laughs> what, 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 what do you fucking mean that you can't fly them? <laughs> and, and they're like, yeah, well, you see the screens? I'm like, yeah. It's like, well, they take power to operate. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, the batteries, you know, we, we need to tether them to the ground to get the power because the battery would be too heavy to actually let the, let the air balloons get off the ground. But like, you're fucking shitting me. I've just paid all this money for these hot air balloons that do not fly. I am going to be the laughing stock. <laughs> I'm like, how, how did we get this disconnected? You know what I mean? Cause I wasn't going through the project. I don't know other shit to do in a fine detail. I just thought that, you know, a, you know, a, a balloon that flies. So, all right. So fine. We've made the mistakes been made. They still look pretty cool and they're tethered. Right. So we can put them, uh, we, we, we can put them in a, you know, maybe we can choose cool locations and tether them in, a, in locations. Oh yeah. But how high can they go? Like we can't put them too high because otherwise the wind will blow them and they'll be straying onto another plot and we won't get approval. Like, so literally like fucking tethered to the ground, probably like the length of my arm. Like, you know, it's probably the, the best that we could, we, we could do. Oh, I was livid. I was livid. And internally I fought so hard to do this, something new, pretty cool idea, like test and learn or whatever. And it just went down literally like a lead balloon. Um, <laughs> it was the worst. Uh, yeah, I got so much shit for it internally. So, but I have, these were real. They were things. I have the videos as proof they existed in a large aircraft hangar. We went and inspected them and found out that we had balloons that did not fly. So there we go. That's a crazy, uh, I want, uh, and then what, there was one time I spent $5 million at 
in a day in Korea, which was 100% fraud. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, that's another story though. Not as cool as hot air balloons. That's just a tragic story. <laughs> <laughs> that that one was basically the uh, there was a bug in. So what happens is you know what you pay when you set up the campaign. Some some of the campaigns are on, um, are tied to uh, cost per acquisition or cost per insult. So you only pay the media only when you get a result. Now some crafty bastards out in in Korea discovered that you um, and this is a Korea specific problem because we needed a different uh, bit of code for it. Was that if you uninstalled the game and reinstalled the game again, you got paid twice, right? So what what happened was that you know there was a, a, an incentivized element. So people were, um, you know, but the meteors were passing on, you know, because it was fairly standard practice there. Hey, you get two bucks or three bucks if you install this game. These crafty bastards were just uninstalling, reinstalling the game and getting paid. And so when we we clocked on, like within, oh, like, geez, things are going real well in Korea. But because it was, like, we didn't understand, it took two, two or three days to actually, uh, um, you know, actually clock what the exact problem was. Because it was, bear in mind, we we're spending so much money that it wasn't like the fact that we were spending all of a sudden going from zero to five million wasn't a big uh, thing for us at the, at, at the time. And, and then when we turned around and said, hey, this is, this is not right. This is effectively fraud. They're like, yeah, but there's contracts in place. Like, we can't get out of them. Like, oh, that was, <laughs> that was horrific. I feel like I understand how the world works now. <laughs> yeah. It's always good to sit down with someone much smarter than us and, and pick their brains for a little bit. Um, we're, we're very, very lucky. It's definitely blown my mind. Um, hopefully for you at home or whoever's listening. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of an insight into how the gaming companies work and, and how the marketing sort of side works. And yeah, blown away. First person uh, to use Facebook ads. Yeah, yeah, that's fucking nuts. If you like what you hear, give us a like, share, subscribe, tell a mate. Um, let's get the train rolling.